Good morning to everybody. How's everybody doing? Full of enthusiasm this morning? Come on, I hope so. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time there. Not all of our time, but most of our time there today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Okay, the, uh, the title of uh, our, sort of our year, the theme that Chris mentioned a little bit earlier is Go Make Disciples. And so we're going to be looking at the idea of making disciples from a variety of different angles uh, in sermons all throughout the year. Uh, the idea of evangelism, the idea of what do you do with someone after they become a Christian, how do you grow as a disciple, how do you uh, help other people grow as disciples. And so we're going to be looking at all this from many, many angles. But what, what I want to look at today is something that I think is very true for anyone who ever gets serious about trying to go make disciples is that you lose heart and you get discouraged. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the passage I had, uh, you turn to, look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then skip ahead in the chapter to verse 16. So you sort of have at the beginning of this chapter and a little bit toward the end of the chapter, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. And so, you know, this idea of not losing heart is a big deal. Well, what's another way of saying losing heart? Getting discouraged, right? That you're just a little discouraged about everything. Uh Uh-oh, I didn't uh, uh, punch my watch, so uh uh-oh. So, extra extra three minutes in the sermon. So, hang in there. But I want us to go back, I want us to read the, uh, the Great Commission, then look at a couple scriptures in the book of Acts, and a couple comments about people, then we'll come back here to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Look over to Matthew chapter 28, Great Commission. You guys with me? Okay, good to see the sunshine, right? Man, I was tired of that rain. We don't live in Seattle. We need, you know, we need sunshine down here. We pay, we pay good money for sunshine down here, and, and we expect to get it. Matthew twenty-eight, Great Commission, verse sixteen. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. So they all gathered up in Galilee, which is way away, uh, you know, from Jerusalem. So they traveled up to Galilee and they met there. It says, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always from the very end of the age. So during the ministry of Jesus, He was out and about and ministering to people. He actually sent His disciples out a couple times on, if you want to call it like trial run. And He would send them out and then they would come back and they would have a meeting and report all that happened. And Jesus would teach them based upon what they saw, what they did, uh, what they did well, what they didn't do well, and all those kind of things. Now He's been crucified. He's been resurrected. He comes back and he says, Okay, guys, I am going to go back into the heavens. You need to now go make disciples. And we find in the book of Acts then, them doing that. Look over to Acts 2. These are passages during the year that you're probably going to realize that we're going to hit a couple different times, right? 
Now we're going to see these. But they go out and Acts 2 is the first big effort that they make. And they begin to preach and, and talk to the people. And in verse 36, Peter's sort of bringing things to a conclusion here in his sermon. He says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And so there were people that were convicted or touched by the message that, and the things that Peter had said. And they said, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we read on down to verse 41 that says those who accepted His message were baptized and about 3,000 people were baptized that first day. Now you've got to admit, that must have been incredibly exciting. About 3,000. They didn't have an exact number. But about 3,000 is a lot, right? I mean, tons and tons of people respond to the message and they get baptized. In verse 42 and following, it talks about what the church was like. And we're not going to read that all now. But come on down in verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And note this comment. And enjoying the favor of all the people. So when this movement starts, that Jesus has now sort of, you know, hand the baton off to the apostles. When it starts, Luke, as he writes about this in his in, in what we now know as the book of Acts of the Apostles, in the very beginning, what what did people think about them? They're great! Everybody was crazy about them. But look at the end of the book of Acts. Okay? Book of Acts, uh, Acts 28 chapters. So go to chapter 28. And verse 22. Paul is in Rome. He's staying at a home. He's gathered some people uh, to uh, hear him talk to them. And look what they say. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So in the first part of the book of Acts, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. By the end of the book of Acts, which is a number of years, not just a couple years, but probably you know more on the range of maybe 20 or 30 years, now by this time, the church has fallen... Uh, into a whole other category where people everywhere are talking against the Christians. We have to sort of understand, okay, when Jesus says go make disciples, even though He doesn't mention people, that's exactly what He's talking about. He says, my people are going to engage other people around them. The church in its very beginning was intended to be something that was penetrating into society. That was going into society. The church was never, you know, hey, come to us and we'll teach you. The idea was, we're going to you and we are going 
to teach you. So the church from its very beginning has this sort of outward idea, this outward concept that we're going to go and talk to people. We're going to go and make disciples of other people. And we see even in the book of Acts that it sometimes can be a very popular thing and other times may not be so much popular. As a matter of fact, it probably isn't going to be. We're dealing with people here. And I, I, I want us to read a couple passages in the Bible about people. Now people, as you know, can run the gambit. They can run the continuum, right? From being incredibly awesome to incredibly terrible. And these passages that we are going to read here are going to say things about people. And one of the things that I think is fascinating is that if you look at the history of the world, the history as we know, the history of people, you find that as we technologically and and educationally and all the different ways that we continue to develop, I mean, if people even living 50 years ago could see what we are doing today, they would go, wow, really? That's incredible. Imagine people 50 years ago Understanding the internet. That would blow their mind, wouldn't it? They, they, they would be, let's go back a hundred years and everybody, every house, every apartment has running water in it. What would they they would say that's incredible? And we've had all these gross in, in all these areas of, 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 uh, of people and how people are and who they are. On the other hand, in many ways, people are people. And so we have changed a lot, but we really haven't changed a lot. And let's look at a number of passages. Go back in the Old Testament to Genesis 6. I just read this the other day. It's uh, January, and so I'm reading through the Bible again. I like to do that every year. So I'm I'm through uh, uh, Genesis now going on into Exodus. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, this is before the, uh, the flood. And uh, let, let's see what, what uh, the comment, uh, most people believe that Moses wrote Genesis. In verse uh, 5 there, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil all of the time. The Lord was grieved that He had made man on the earth And his heart was filled with pain. Look at the comment about people. Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil all the time. You know, we have a tendency to think, oh, I mean, people were so simplistic back then. No, not really. Their hearts and their minds were on evil all the time. Look a little further on to chapter 11. This is after the flood. And in verse 1 it says, The whole world had one language and a common speech. Now that would be nice, wouldn't it? As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said to each other, this conversation that the people had with each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. This is a new technology. Instead of just having a mud house, hey, let's make some bricks. Let's 
Let's bake them thoroughly, and then we can stack them on each other and make a bigger house, a bigger building. Then you, and they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. This is creative thinking. They're coming up with new ideas. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And here's their motivation. So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That we can make a name for ourselves. What's the internal motivation of all that they're doing? All that they're creating? All that their mind is racing? How can we build a tower? How can we make a name for ourselves? How can we be great? How can everybody notice me? How can everybody be aware of me? So you find these things. This is ancient descriptions of people. Let's go now to Jesus. Look to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9 and verse 35. It says, And Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When He saw the crowds, when He saw the people, He had compassion on them. Now look at this. Because they were like sheep, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the field. So Jesus looks out over the crowd and the people, and his observation about people is that people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's a description that can be made of ancient world. It's it's a description that can be made of Jesus' time. It's a description that can be made of our time. We're driving electric cars, but people are harassed and helpless. They're sheep without a shepherd. They're living lives of aimless, trying to get rich, trying to get something that will make them happy. Trying to do something that'll make him happy. Look a little further on in Matthew, or rather, to Mark, rather, Mark thirteen. Mark thirteen. This is at the end of Jesus's ministry before he dies and goes to the cross. He's talking to uh, his uh, closer relationships about people and what's going to happen. In uh, Mark chapter thirteen, verse one, it says, "As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look." Teacher, you can just imagine this. Hey, Jesus, what impressive stones. What magnificent buildings. So they're walking out. You know, it's almost like, you know, you you can imagine this in your own mind. Hey, Jesus, isn't it incredible? The buildings and how impressive they are. Now, we would look at those buildings and say what? Ah. No big deal. But they looked at those buildings. Look at that stone. (laughs) Look at that building. Verse 2. Do you see these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so this is a little bit later now on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple... Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be a sign that they're about to be 
fulfilled. Now scoot over to verse 12. He says a number of different things there, but we're going to pick it up here in verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. What's Jesus' observation about people here? He's saying people can be downright deadly. Even even the bounds of, of parents and children. We often hear the news and what's going on around us in the world. And I think one of the reasons sometimes that, that our world seems to be a little bit more uh, running fast is that we know more than people in the past did. You know, the truth of the matter is, uh, even 20 years ago, if they had... Uh, a, a terrible thing happened in India, you would know it, we would know it living in, in North America for several days. What had happened? In our world now, hey, if something happens in India, if something happens in Africa, if something happens uh, in New Zealand, <laughs> if something happens uh, in anywhere, I mean, it's within sometimes minutes, seconds maybe even. And we have all this information. And, and the news, by definition, tends to be negative. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. And so we get an avalanche of negative. Yeah. And we think, my gosh, the world's just all falling apart. I'm not sure that anything is, is dramatically different. Now, there's more people, so the possibilities for more negative happens. But there's always been negative things that have happened. We just know about it now. And we, in the past, we didn't necessarily know about it. But Jesus makes this observation. He says, man, things are going to get rough. People are going to hate you because of me. Why are they going to hate them? Well, because they're going to go make disciples. He's teaching them, you are going to engage the world. Now here's what happens sometimes with some of us as disciples. And I put myself in the exact same category, so don't think I'm pointing my finger at you. If I point my finger at you, three fingers point at me, okay? So I'm just as guilty or more guilty of anybody here. But what happens sometimes is we as Christians say, you know what, I've, I've tried to make disciples and, and it was hard. I, I tried to help somebody and they didn't appreciate it. I said something to them and then they didn't like me. And so what we do is we withdraw. We say, well, wait, I, I don't like that. I don't like the way that makes me feel. I, I, so I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I, I'm going to love them. But, but gosh, don't make me go back out there. Well, the problem is then is that we're, we're sort of missing the fundamental mission. Of the, of the church, of the, of the Christians, of the disciples, is to do. Go make disciples. And so we're supposed to be out there engaging. Okay, now, go back to our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You guys with me here? This is really, I, I mean, th- this is good stuff, guys. This is good stuff. Remember we looked at, don't lose heart. Right? Verse 1, verse 16. Therefore, don't lose heart. Now, what are we going to do the rest of our time here? Is we're going to go through this chapter. And he's going to give them a number of things. I've got seven things written down here. Not seven points. Don't freak out. I've got seven things here that he says to them 
that fit into this idea of don't lose heart. Here's how you can conduct your life as a child of God, engaging the world, going and making disciples, and not losing heart, not getting discouraged. You with me? Okay, let's, let's read it here together as we go through. He says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, he says, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Here's the first thing he says. You want to not lose heart? You need to set forth the truth plainly. You need to lay it out. Many times what happens when we do finally get a study set up with someone, we're finally going to engage someone and they are willing to be engaged uh, with to, to, to talk about the Bible, talk about faith, talk about getting faith, is you would say, oh my gosh, I, I've got to try to smooth this over. I, I, I've got to make it so they'll like it. You know what, guys? What we have to understand is that the Word of God by design is confrontive. It's confrontive. It's not supposed to be easy to become a Christian. To become a disciple. It's supposed to be hard. Remember back in Acts what it says? They were cut to the heart. What the heck does that mean? It means they were profoundly, deeply convicted. I'm going to tell you something. I think the reason some of us are not any more successful than we are is because we're trying to be too nice. We've become too nice. You've got to get up in someone's face with the Word of God. Now, you don't need to be obnoxious. I'm not saying that. Right. But he says, listen, we we didn't use uh, fancy words and fancy ideas. We set forth the truth plainly. You've got to lay it out. It's got to be unbelievably clear. Oh, wow. Uh, You you mean, that means I need to stop doing this? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's what that means. You mean if I become a disciple, I gotta quit doing this? Yeah, that's what it means. We're like, well, maybe you grow into it. People are never gonna be cut to the heart if you don't lay out the truth plainly. And just let me speak to the campus ministry for a minute. I tell you, one of the things I think campus ministry has gone through is an is a evolution to softness. I want to challenge you guys. You challenge people with the Word of God. You get your Bible open, their Bible open, and say, there it is. Yours says it just like mine does. You've got to be bold on campus, guys. You can't try to be uh, uh, soft and, and, and persuasive. You need to be a whole lot more uh, engaging. And people say, well, I'm not sure that I'm interested then. Well, that's your choice. You're going to have to decide what you want to do. 
I'm not mad at you, but I want you to toughen up over there. You with me? I didn't hear one amen from campus ministry. I got one now. You, you, you got to be bold on campus, guys. You, you cannot be cowered back in to not being bold. You got to be bold. You got to lay out the truth plainly. Okay, let's continue on. Okay? He says in, in verse 4. Our verse, did I go to three? I went to, uh, to three here. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled. So it says we're going to lay the, the truth out plainly, right? Yeah. And even if our gospel is veiled. He says that even if someone doesn't respond. Even if our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Now look what he says here, guys. Why are their hearts veiled? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We take it personally. We think, hey, I tried to study with them and they rejected me. That's how it feels, doesn't it? He says, no, that may be true that they reject you. But he's saying that the root issue, the root problem is not that they reject you. The root problem is they reject God because their minds, their hearts, their consciences have been blinded by the God of this age. By Satan. You see, we take it personally. We think, oh man, I tried and, and they rejected me. Right. He's saying, when people reject the gospel message, you need to understand what they are rejecting is not essentially you. You're, you're just the, the, the tool. They are rejecting God's message to their life and they are doing so because their hearts, their minds, their consciences are veiled. They're, they're calloused by the God of this age. Now, you understand that then. You don't take everything personal all the time. You're like, hey, I tried to share with this guy and he turned me down. Well, he didn't just turn you down. He turned God down. Why did he do that? Not because you weren't slick enough in your presentation. It's because he didn't get it. You know, some of us, when we were young Christians, and you know what I'm talking about, some of you. We were young Christians. We didn't know the books of the Bible. We never even read the Bible all the way through. And we studied the Bible with someone and they became a Christian. And 30 years later, they're still faithful. What in thunder did you teach those people? You have no idea. And what you did, you probably didn't do a very good job with. But they're faithful. After all these years, why? Because they committed their life to God and they were converted deeply in the heart. And so we've got to understand here, how, how, how do, the whole point of this is, how do you not lose heart in, in going and making disciples? You've got to quit taking everything so personally. Right. When someone rejects you, they're ultimately rejecting it because their hearts are blinded uh, by the, the, the uh, God of this age. Anyway, okay, come on down. Verse 5. You guys with me? He says, For we do not preach ourselves. Whoa. We do not preach ourselves. But Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants. We do not preach ourselves. Number three. We are servants. We're just trying to help them. That's how you that's how you deal with it. I'm just a servant here. 
I didn't die on the cross for you. Jesus did. It's not all about you. Verse 6. He says, For God who said, Let light shine in darkness. This is God who said that. Let light shine in darkness. Made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now that's a lot of words there. But look what he says about it in verse 7. But we have this treasure. What's the treasure? Well, let's go back and look at what he said. God, who said light, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts. Your heart. My heart. What is the treasure? The treasure is that God's light shone in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And we have this treasure. This treasure. You see, sometimes as a disciple, we get caught up in what am I doing well at and what am I doing poorly at. And we miss... We miss a lot of the idea of Christianity is that you opened your heart to God. You gave your life to the Lord. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Let His light shine in your heart. Even at a time in your life where you may not be just blowing it out spiritually, you are still a a, a container of the light of the glory of God that is in your heart. And we have this treasure. Let's imagine a treasure. We have a tendency to think of a treasure as a ton of money. Right? See, I do anyway. A treasure is a lot of money. Wouldn't it be a treasure to have a lot of money? Well, it wouldn't be bad. I'd like to try for a while. Uh, <laughs> it'd be a nice experiment. Uh, but anyway, what we have in our heart is worth more than that. It's vastly worth more than that. And we see examples of it all around us. People that do have a lot of money that don't have any real happiness. Right. They have a lot of money, but their life is a wreck. Why? Well, because that in and of itself isn't going to really fix the real issues of your life. What we have is worth far, far, far more. It's a treasure. Now, what's the point of the treasure? This is, hey, how to not lose heart. We have a tendency at times, I have a tendency at times, to focus on what I don't have. You ever do that in your life? This is what I don't have. But we don't focus on what I do have. And the most important thing that any child of God has is God living in their heart. Now, verse 7. This this ain't just good here right now. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the jar of clay? It's your physical body. 
you are a jar of clay. From dust you came, from dust you go back, right? You guys with me here? I'm, I feel like you're losing energy on me. We have this treasure in jar and jars of clay. We're not, you know, we're, none of us going to make it out of this thing alive. We're, 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 we're all going to go back to, to dust. We came from dust, we're going to go back to dust, right? And, and, and death. To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're not that powerful. Now look at this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So look at the negative. Look at it. We're hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Well, that's the negative. It, you, you know, you might get the idea that at times it gets a little rough out there as a, as a child of God, right? As you're going and making disciples, you're going to be perplexed, feel like you're struck down, feel like, you know, you got all these things going on. But on the other hand, what does he say? But not crushed, not in despair, not abandoned, and not destroyed. You're still standing. After all, you're still hanging in there. And we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. In other words, the willingness to give our life for other people around us. We, we, we live with the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That people cannot just see the death of Jesus in us, but also the life of Jesus in us. He says, for we uh, who are alive are always giving uh, a being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work with you. It is written. I believe, therefore I have spoken. He quotes this from the Old Testament. With the same spirit of faith. In other words, with the same enthusiasm, the, the same zip, the same energy that this Old Testament guy said that, we also believe and therefore speak. Wow, i got to tell you, verse 13, the spirit of faith there is one of the coolest things that, 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 that I, I, I see in my life. I became a Christian in 1977. That's a long time ago. I'd have to do the math on what that is, but it's, it, it's, a, it's not a couple days, okay? I still got it. It's that, it's that energy. It, it's that, that same spirit of faith that I, I will not concede. I will not give in. Man, Christians can have. That's why you don't get discouraged. That's why you 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 aren't uh, you don't lose heart because you have that spirit of faith in you. So that that's number five. Okay, number six. He comes on down. He says that after this, uh, that because we know that the Lord who raised the, the Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in His presence. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving. To overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away. It is true that we are aging. You know, yesterday my daughter Maria in New York FaceTimed me. And I think that may have been one of the first times I've ever done that. But anyway, she called and I answered and I said, hello. And oh, Maria, oh, and she said, dad, 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 I see your ear. You need to hold the phone out. <laughs> and I did. And, uh, and uh, it was Maria and, and, uh, and Ross, her husband, and uh, little Joe. Uh, I call him little Joe from Bonanza, you know. Uh, the name is Joseph, so I call him little Joe. Uh, and he is little, He's, you know, little Joe. Uh, and uh, uh, you guys all know what I'm talking about here. You're more experienced on all this than I am. But, uh, you know, I see them and I see the little picture of me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, do I really look like that? I've got my reading glasses on. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I look at it and man, I, I look like an old man. Shut up. You know, yesterday at the, uh, at the, the Martin Luther King thing, uh, that was such a great success. I mean, man, some of that stuff, we're down in the dungeon, Rob and I, and, and we're pulling out these desks, and, and, and uh, 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 a bunch of us were up there uh, doing all that and, and taking these things out, and, and I'd pick them up and take them out. And several of you guys out there, you know who you are. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Uh, you, you, made, you made comments like, oh, man, Marty's strong. Uh. <laughs> What do you think I was? You know what I'm talking about? And you know, I used to be strong. I don't know. I'm not as strong now as I used to be, of course. Not as quick as I used to be and all that kind of stuff. But you know, that, that, that's just life. And he talks about that. He says, though outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Yeah. Who has that? Right. What dollar amount can you put on that if you could sell it? Yeah. That, yeah, outwardly you're wasting away and you know it. But inwardly, say like Caleb says, bring, give me thy your country. I'm just as strong now as I ever was. That, that sounds like something I'd say. It probably wasn't true for Caleb or me either. But that's the way Caleb felt. You understand what I'm saying? And it's okay to feel that way. Outwardly, we're, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Look what he says here. He says, For our light and momentary troubles. Huh, I see. Uh, perplexed, uh, hard-pressed, persecuted, and struck down. Those are light and momentary problems. <laughs> you know, I have a tendency to think they're a little bigger than that, but, but he says they're light and momentary. It's not that big a deal. You know what? The thing that you got on your life that's the most, uh, that, that you feel like is a burden to you is not that big a deal. It's just not that big of a deal if, if, if you really get the right perspective on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so sometimes what we do is that we just, we just totally focus on the, 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 the burden of our life. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of focusing on what we can and should be becoming 
with our 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 uh, our life in Christ and not letting these light momentary problems uh, pro- be a problem for us. Amen. Now look at this last one. So, so is okay. I'm going to wrap this up. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Because what is, uh, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. See, if we focus on what is seen, we're going to get discouraged and beat down. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, you know, there are people all around us in the world that are frustrated, empty, lonely. They have no clue what to fix their eyes on. They have no clue who to look to. They have no idea how to be inwardly powerful even though they're outwardly wasting away. These things, these seven things, and there's probably more than seven that we could dig out of that chapter, but these seven things, setting forth the truth plainly, realizing that people are are blinded by Satan. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus is Lord. The light in our hearts, the spirit of faith, the renewing day by day, and the ability to fix our eyes. These are the things, He says, that keep us from losing heart. Making disciples is not for sissies. It's tough out there. It's not easy. It isn't supposed to be easy. There's going to be people that will reject. There will be people that will be mean-spirited. Perhaps even, according to Jesus, family members. But we can go about this without losing heart if we focus on the kind of things that Paul talks about here in this great chapter. What a fantastic chapter. I'm going to encourage you this week, if you're a member of the church here, to read this passage, read this chapter every day this week. I think it will minister to you I think it will deepen your convictions. I think it will encourage your heart and build you up. He starts out with, this is how we don't lose heart. And he ends it with, this is how you can go make disciples and not lose heart. I tell you, I couldn't think of a better idea than Raphael came up with for a theme for us this year of going and making disciples. And it's really going to be a fun study all through the year of how can we make disciples efficiently? How can we help them grow? How can we help them develop? How can we help them be the kind of people they need to be? And then, of course, reaching out and reaching out and reaching out and others becoming Christians as well. Thank you for your good attendance today. Thank you for all the things that we've enjoyed today in our service. Have a fantastic week. You are dismissed.